hope you came here to find Jesus, to meet with him. I hope you came here because you're looking for him. If that's not what you came here for, there are better things you could be doing with your time. Let me lead us in prayer before we get to the message. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you more than we could possibly realize. We need you desperately. And Lord, as we come to you today in worship, please take out of our hearts and minds distractions, other things that want to consume the horizon of our attention. And Jesus, we pray that you will be the sun in the center of it all, that you will be the the center of all of our attention. Focus our hearts on you, Jesus. Not on the things of you, but on you. Not on the things we receive from you, but on you. Help us to treasure you. Draw our hearts to you, Lord, because we have nothing to offer anyone but you. Be the center of it all. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We're continuing in our series of messages from the Gospel of John. I've titled the series, The Message Became Flesh. As a pastor, I've probably been to more funerals than the average person. Oftentimes at funerals, you hear platitudes and vague words of reassurance. People will say things like, our thoughts are with you, or I'm sending positive energies your way. Some people sometimes are so eager to help, they'll just make up something and and communicate things that are clearly not biblical. They'll say stuff like, now your deceased loved one is an angel in heaven looking down on you and hoping that that provides some comfort. To a person who's grieving, these platitudes often don't do a whole lot of good. In fact, sometimes even in times of loss, sometimes even true words spoken seem to be ineffective. That's kind of where we find Martha in today's passage. We're going to be in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. And I've titled this message, Do You Believe This? Let's go ahead and start with verse 17. So having come, Jesus found him, that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, 15 stadia away, and many from the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them regarding their brother. So this is the situation. We looked last week at the start of the whole story. Jesus is about four days away from them, likely, um, when he receives word that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus spends two more days doing something not important enough for John to mention anything about it. He just says he spent two more days. And then he announces to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, let's head back. And uh, depending on where this place was, if he was where some people suggest, it could have been a four-day journey for him to get to Bethany from where he was. And... 
John lets us know this Bethany we're talking about is not the one he was saying earlier in the gospel that John the Baptist was baptizing there, but this is the Bethany that's in the outskirts of Jerusalem, about two miles away. Actually, 15 stadia add up to about 1.7 miles, if you want to be precise. But uh, So he lets us know this is a different location that he's going to. And uh, we have the usual things you expect when somebody loses someone. You have people coming to console them. And I, I think it's interesting to, to note that John doesn't exclusively use the term the Jews to address people hostile to Jesus. Uh, here we have people who are being supportive and loving toward friends of Jesus. Uh, and they're from the Jews. Uh, so clearly John doesn't mean by using that term to imply that all Jews hated Jesus. He kind of uses that oftentimes as a shorthand for the hostile leadership, the religious leadership. But in this case, from the Jews, people come and they're being supportive of Mary and Martha to console them regarding their brother. I'd like you to think a moment what this might have been like for Mary and Martha. Uh, The first century, uh, especially uh, within Judaism, uh, was an extremely patriarchal society. Now, in all we read, and John isn't the only gospel that mentions Mary and Martha. Other gospels talk about them too. The only male we are ever told was a part of this household is Lazarus, which probably means that the parents had already passed away. It probably also means that neither Mary nor Martha were married. It probably means that the man in this house was Lazarus. And in a patriarchal society, you needed a man in the house uh, to kind of uh, watch over and represent and perhaps provide. Uh, So the loss of Lazarus, beyond the natural uh, sense of loss we have when somebody very near and dear to us passes away, also puts Mary and Martha in a very difficult life situation. What's going to happen now? How are they going to make it now on their own? And, of course, the Jews realize, uh, the people who know them realize the, the, the desperate situation they find themselves in. And they come, they make the journey of 1.7 miles and come and uh, are trying to offer comfort And I'm reminded in all of this that it took Jesus four days uh, to come back. Now, so I'm trying to do the math. So if when Lazarus was sick, they said, go find Jesus and let him know he's sick. If Jesus was four days away, then it took four days for the message to reach Jesus. And then he lollygagged for two more days. Doing nothing. We're told nothing about what he was doing. He's there two days. Who knows what he's up to. And only after two days does he come back and make the probably four-day journey. That means possibly that Martha has been agonizing for ten days waiting to hear something from Jesus. And after day four, probably wondering what in the heck is going on. Why isn't he here? I thought he would have double-timed it. He would have been here in three days. Why does he take so long? Add to that, and we know from later rabbinic tradition uh, that even the rabbis said that maybe the soul remains near the body after death and there's a possibility of resuscitation. We know of examples like that. Our doctors do it all the time. Somebody's heart stops. They, they do stuff to them and try to bring them back. Uh, the, the rabbis said after three days, it's over. 
the soul departs because the body is beginning to fall apart, it's beginning to decompose, and the soul realizes there's nothing to be done and it's gone. Uh, so day four in Jewish mentality is the day it's all over. There's no chance of bringing somebody back. Jesus waits for that fourth day before he shows up. Have you ever experienced something like this in your walk with Jesus? Where you are in a situation of desperate need and it seems like Jesus doesn't show up when he should? I suspect you might have. Let's keep reading what's, what happens with Martha. Verse 20. So Martha, as she heard that Jesus is coming, went to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. But even now, I know that whatever you should ask of God, God will give to you. People speculate about this, why Martha ran out to meet Jesus and Mary stayed behind sitting in the house. Now, Jewish custom at the time when you lost a loved one was to sit shiva. And you would sit in, on the floor in your house for seven days and would receive people come to offer condolences and bring food. And you would intensely mourn for seven days. Uh, after the sitting Shiva, you would have three more weeks of mourning where you wouldn't wear jewelry, you wouldn't dress up, you would uh, dress very simply and uh, continue your mourning for three more weeks. So we're in the middle of this sitting Shiva. And some say, well, uh, we have here what we see in other passages with Mary and Martha. Martha is very quick to offer hospitality. Jesus shows up. I'm going to run out to greet him. And uh, Mary is somehow oblivious and stays behind, as she has done in other occasions. Or maybe they're splitting their duties. And Martha is going out to show hospitality and receive Jesus. And Mary stays behind to receive those who are coming to offer condolences. But as the story progresses, when Mary is informed that Jesus is near, she gets up and runs out and cares nothing about who's in the house or isn't. So I don't know that that's what's going on with her. It's hard to know exactly. Perhaps it just might be that Martha heard and ran out before she said anything to Mary, and Mary had no idea until later that Jesus was already nearby. Whatever the situation is, we only know right now of Martha's encounter with Jesus. And the way this plays out, they will each have their own encounter with Jesus separately. And what does Martha have to say to Jesus? Lord, she begins, she addresses him respectfully. Now, you know, Jews used Lord to refer to God, but also it was a common address of respect, kind of akin to our use of the word sir. Uh, sir, uh, it, it's a sign of respect. If you had been here, so what follows this respectful address is uh, some chiding, some rebuke. If you had been here, my brother would never have died. And we hear the question that's not spoken, why weren't you here? Why didn't you come? You knew the agony I was in and you waited two more days. Why? Why did you leave me all alone? 
And what she says in verse 22, some read as an expression of hope that he can resurrect him. I don't think that's what she's saying. But even now I know that whatever you should ask of God, God will give to you. The reason I don't think she's suggesting resurrection is that when Jesus tells her he's going to do it and then goes to the tomb to do it, she's the one who says, don't open the tomb. He already stinks. He's been there four days. There's no indication she expects Jesus to do any of that. So what is she saying? She's saying, I am absolutely convinced that you are the one the Father sent into the cosmos and that anything you ask of the Father, he will do for you. So if you had bothered to be here, you could have healed him. You would have healed him. I know anything you ask of God, he will do for you. And you would have done it if you had been here, but you weren't. Why? Why did you leave me? alone and wait until it's too late to do anything about it basically Martha rebukes Jesus for not healing Lazarus and she knew he could have done it have you ever addressed God in rebuke the way Martha does here Have you ever said that kind of thing to God? Why did you leave me hanging? Let's keep reading. Verse 23, Jesus says to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. These are the kinds of things we say to each other at funerals. In the case of the deceased of somebody in the faith, take comfort. Your loved one will rise again. This is not the end of the story. Martha's response seems to indicate that she's not satisfied with that right now. Yes, someday. She knows the whole story that the Messiah is coming to establish the eternal kingdom of God and the righteous, those who belong to the Messiah. Uh, When the day comes, the final day, when the dead are raised and everyone faces judgment before the Messiah and uh, new heavens and new earth are ushered in and eternity spreads out before the righteous of God, then yes, that will be a great day. But today is not that day. What use is that to me now? What's going to happen to us? Is some near relative man going to step in and take over our household? Are we going to be forcibly married off? What are we going to do now? How does this help me now? Yes, someday he will rise. Someday it'll all be great. But that's not today. Today is not great. And Martha hears this as kind of the staple answer, the, the platitude, the word of comfort that does nothing to help me right now. She doesn't seem satisfied when Jesus assures her, Lazarus is going to rise again. 
Have you ever found yourself in situations like this where affirmations of the Christian faith have seemed to you to be platitudes or staple answers that don't really do much? So how does Jesus respond to Martha? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he should die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die into eternity. Do you believe this? I love that Jesus doesn't back off and say, oh yeah, I know that's not much help right now, but someday it'll, it'll be meaningful to you. Jesus pushes forward with it and says, pay attention to what I'm telling you, Martha. First of all, he has to correct a misunderstanding she has. She thinks one day Jesus is going to make everything great. One day, Jesus is going to give me uh, a beautiful life. Jesus says, you've misunderstood. I'm not giving you life. I am life. I'm not giving you some cosmetic improvement upon your current life. I am giving myself to you, and I am life. I am resurrection. I don't just give it. I am the very essence of what you need to say, I live. And all it requires is faith. Anyone who believes in me, death will be immaterial. It won't matter because even if that person should die, he lives. Because his life is not some event. His life is not some uh, circumstance. His life is me. And I'm going nowhere. I am eternally here. That is what I'm giving to you. Myself. And I am life. I don't just improve life. I am the substance itself of life. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. And you can stretch that out into eternity. That's not going to change. Those who believe in Jesus do not die. Now, physical death may occur. But they continue to live because their life is Christ and there is no stopping that. And Jesus says to her, do you believe this? Here's our problem with the Christian faith so many times. I don't know that we actually believe it. I don't know that we actually grasp that Jesus is life and that he has given himself to us and that is all I need to have life. 
Sometimes we think if I, if I lose my job, if I lose my career, if I lose my reputation, my spouse, my child, if I lose any one of these things, my life is going to be over. I'm going to be catastrophically devastated. Jesus is reminding us that isn't life. I am life. And guess what? Nobody can take that from you. And he tells Martha, forget about your house. Forget about who's going to take care of you. Forget about whether you're going to have something to eat tomorrow. Forget about the absence, the gaping hole that Lazarus has left behind in your life. Forget about all of this. Because that is not life. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Every crisis we face is a question. Do you believe this? Jesus corrects Martha's misunderstanding. He doesn't safeguard life for us. He is life. How should believing that Jesus is our life impact the way we face devastating events in our own lives? It should make a difference. Verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ the Son of God, the one coming into the cosmos. Martha hears Jesus' challenge. And she says, you know what, you're absolutely right. Lazarus isn't my life. You are. And yes, I believed everything you have revealed to me about yourself. I know that you are the promised king of kings. You have come to establish the kingdom of God and you will rule the world. And you will bring everything to perfect peace and make all things new. You are the promised Christ. Not only that, you are more than just a man. You are the son of God, just as you've said recently. I don't care if the Jewish leaders want to stone you for it. I know it's true. You are the Son of God. And I know that you are God come to us, sent by the Father, coming into the cosmos. You have come into creation itself. God Almighty. Martha responds to this challenging question from Jesus. And she's very firm in her answer. Yes, Jesus, you are everything you claim to be, and I absolutely believe that. I guess the question we can ask ourselves this morning is, have I believed that Jesus is everything he claims to be? And if so, how is that evident in the way I'm going about living life? How is that evident in the way I face crises and devastating moments of loss? People of faith 
often experience moments of terrible loss and oftentimes in these moments experience moments of resentment toward God for not doing something to prevent it. Martha was upset that Jesus took his sweet time coming to her. Lazarus was dying. She was so desperate and Jesus didn't come. We likewise, when we're facing moments like this, tend to think Jesus is dragging his feet. Why isn't he doing something? Why does he leave me here? Doesn't he know how agonizing this is? Jesus told Martha she had it wrong. He's not here to safeguard life for us. And to do so by so arranging the circumstances of our lives that we do not suffer. He came to give us life. And he is that life. We get our eyes off of him and onto anything else. And we're going to be easily toppled. Easily thrown off balance. But Jesus is the one that nothing, not even death itself, can take from us. When we fear, when we despair, it's because we've forgotten. We've forgotten that our life is not found in any of the other things. It's not my wife. It's not my child. It's not my career, my job, my house, my money. It's none of those things. That is not my life. Jesus alone is life. I'm going to ask you the same question Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Please join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you didn't just give us cosmetic fixes. You didn't just come to make things a little bit better, some kind of a makeover to the house that is my life. Thank you that you came to be my life. Thank you that you are sharing with me not just the things you can do for me. You are sharing yourself with me. And Jesus, I repent of so many moments, so many times I have taken my eyes off of you and fixed my heart on something other than you as life. Jesus, I want you to be the center. I want my heart to find its security, its breath of life, nowhere other than in you. Call us to yourself, Jesus. Be our life. We love you, Jesus. It's only by your name, it's only by your merits that we lift our prayers to you. Amen.